Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or reach out to me at michael at bullrealty.com. Well, today we're going to talk about the world of multifamily. You know, multifamily surely uh, been through a lot through COVID. Uh, it's had a great run up until COVID. But what's going on now? What are the trends from the first quarter? Has there been any impact from the moratoriums for evictions? Uh, what's the impact with urban and suburban? We've heard a lot of people moving out of uh, urban settings and moving in suburban. Well, let's get the real story. Please welcome my guest is Carl Whitaker, Carl's Senior Manager of Market Analytics with RealPage. Carl, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, likewise. Good to hear from you as always, Michael. Well, good. Well, the first thing I want to ask you is really just how the, what are the trends overall in the first quarter for occupancy and uh, rental rates? So we just got our first quarter readings here about a week, week and a half ago. And I think the general theme is just one of, of colored with positivity. Uh, we actually saw quarterly demand in first quarter was about 53,000 units. And remarkably so, that was the or tied for the second best uh, first quarter we've seen in the past decade. So I think that was a good sign. Uh, most markets are beginning to see positive month over month rent growth. Uh, you know, you're starting to see occupancy hold pretty stable now. There's not to say that there aren't some instances of individual markets or perhaps sub markets that aren't still challenged. But just generally speaking, rent growth and, and occupancy appear to be moving in a positive direction. And that's just simply a, a reflection of that of that good, strong demand that we saw. Yeah. And is that surprising in any way to you or what you expected? I don't think it's too, too surprising. And, and we had a good discussion uh, last week at the NMHC or the National Multifamily Housing Council uh, Real Estate Research Forum. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about some of the demographic tailwinds that are fueling the apartment industry. Uh, those tailwinds didn't necessarily just go away uh, with COVID-19 and the pandemic. Really, what we saw was about this time last year, Demand understandably fell as leasing offices were shut down and folks were just trying to get an understanding of the world around them. But, you know, you look today and with the economy starting to rebound alongside some of those longer standing tailwinds, um, you know, it, it's starting to look a lot more normal in terms of apartment demand, if you will. And I don't think that's necessarily surprising. I think if there is just one surprise that that was over the past year was just the scale of difference between the haves and the have-nots. So if you look at the uh, the urban cores that have been hit the hardest versus suburban areas that have outperformed, you know, that was probably the biggest surprise uh, that we saw. But just overall, I think we're, we're starting to see what we knew would eventually happen, which is just simply apartment demand returning. Is demand returning for central business districts, for urban uh, communities? We haven't seen that pop just yet. It's it's looking better than it did, say, this time last year, and certainly looking better than it did in the winter months of 2020, just normal seasonal patterns. You see less people shopping around Thanksgiving and Christmas, but uh, things are starting to look up, but we're still in early days to say that 
the the urban core and CBDs are really starting to pop. And um, going back to that that conversation we had last week at the research forum, what we noted was that the outperforming urban cores are generally the least urban core, um, uh, urban typical of urban cores in the nation. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's your your Riverside, Californias, your Greensboro, North Carolinas, your downtown Memphises that are doing pretty well, but still downtown New York, downtown Atlanta, downtown Dallas, downtown LA, et cetera. We're still seeing a little bit of sluggishness in those areas, improving, but still a little sluggish. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So what other markets are really doing well that uh, might surprise people? I think the ones that might surprise people, at least in terms of recent demand, uh, are some of the, the major Florida markets. And we were looking at some stats yesterday of the 50 or so thousand units that were absorbed in first quarter, almost 40% of those came from the major Florida metros. So demand in Florida is just red hot right now. Um, still not seeing rent growth in some instances. You know, you look at Miami and um, some of the the South Florida tourism-driven markets that are still maybe struggling. But Florida is looking a lot better than it was this time last year. Um, a lot of those lower supply Sunbelt markets. Uh, you know, if you look at Charlotte, things aren't as strong as say in Greensboro. If you look at Austin, things aren't as strong as they are in Fort Worth, maybe. So some of those lower supply Sunbelt markets are looking really, really strong for the time being. And again, I think that's just a reflection of the past year's migration patterns. You look at states that have reopened a little bit more fully, have economies on a stronger trajectory. Uh, it's really just an overall reflection of those, um, those driving trends. And Carl, do you expect this demand to continue? Is there possible, possibly, is there a kind of an immediate need for people hey, to get out and make change and, and do things? Uh, maybe they've saved some money, maybe they've gotten some money from the government. And so they're out moving. Do you expect this demand to pop and then subside? Or, or what do you think moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we'll see demand start to normalize a little bit more. Um, and now we're, we're still forecasting, you know, 350 or so thousand units absorbed this year. And that looks like a pretty, again, quote unquote, normal year by the past five or six year standards. Now, I think the pace at which demand improves may start to slow a little bit. And really, I think all that's a reflection of is that eventually you're going to run out of some of that pent up demand that's now being released from uh, summer months of last year. And that's not uncommon. We see that during recessions, you tend to get an initial pop once the economy starts to rebound and then things will just start to hit their natural course shortly thereafter. But overall, I think we're going to see demand continue strong through the summer and fall months. And then you know, you'll start to see some normalization shortly thereafter. We're talking with Carl Whitaker, Senior Manager of Market Analytics with RealPage, about the multifamily market. And Carl, um, we have a multifamily division here, and I've been selling uh, apartments. That, that's what I did as, as an agent in my first 15 years, and, and now uh, my company does all sorts of properties. But our multifamily uh, division is just on fire, and I've never really seen in my career so much demand from buyers I'm seeing. Uh, we had a contract yesterday, half a million dollars, hard earnest money, day one with the purchase and sale agreement. And I'm just seeing incredible demand. You know, what are you seeing out there? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because it's it's always good to hear real world application of the data that we're seeing and the data we're using, but we're seeing something remarkably similar. You know, if you if you look at the trailing twelve month capital markets information, it's a little misleading simply because you're capturing what happened in March, April, and May of last year. But if you look at recent numbers, and I'm saying like, you know, recent first quarter, even February to March numbers of 2021, um, it, it looks like transactions are just returning back to their normal levels. And in fact, improving um, to, to 2019 record levels, price per units are up across the nation, cap rates continue to tighten. So there's a lot of buyers out there pushing up those prices on properties. So it looks like demand, at least from the investor perspective, is also going to be strong. And it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next year or so as the economy continues to recover. Now, you guys at RealPage do uh, a lot of analysis, analytics on these uh, communities and also have a lot of products and things out there that you, you kind of get an inside look at things. Um, what are you sensing or seeing uh, related, you mentioned uh, trailing 12 numbers uh, from the eviction moratorium. How many tenants are potentially in these uh, communities that just aren't paying? Yeah, there's there's a lot of conversation out there about um, eviction moratoriums and, and payment collections. But uh, over the past year, RealPage has partnered with some other data prognosticators and partnered with the National Multifamily Housing Council. And really what we've seen is that across the nation, payments are down let's call it 150 to 200 basis points on a year-over-year basis. So in other words, a lot of folks are still paying their rent, which is exactly what we hope to see. Um, you know, there are some markets maybe where that's a little bit different. You look at Seattle, Portland, Las Vegas, a uh, few areas such as those that payments are down on a year-over-year basis, but we're still seeing roughly 95% of residents pay their rent on time. Now, some of that may be through a slightly different payment plan than what we had historically seen. You know, maybe those come in, in, in installments rather than in one chunk or one, one lump payment at the end of the month. But nevertheless, operators haven't necessarily been uh, left in a position where they're floating a lot of bad debt. Individual properties, maybe you have some of that happening, sure. But just broadly speaking, uh, the market level numbers look pretty good considering. Carl, what are, if any, uh, what's uh, bothering uh, multifamily owners? Uh, what are they wary of moving forward? I think one of the biggest things we saw, and I really like the question, I think one of the biggest things we saw over the past year was just operators had to make a lot of adjustments. I mean, we've all had to make adjustments over the past year, but you look at how leasing patterns have changed through uh, virtual leasing formats and um, lead generation, you know, it's just, it, it, it's very different. And I think the uh, question is just in the next year or so, what shifts have happened as a result of the pandemic will be here to stay versus what was a near-term blip on the radar. So I don't know that there's necessarily a ton of widespread concern out there. I think there's still just some uncertainty on what operational practices will remain in place versus what changes uh, or, or what goes back to the the pre-pandemic norm over the next, let's call it 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like how much will home delivery of food and other items continue? How, how much traffic and success leasing can you have, you know, virtually, right? I guess we don't, we won't really know here for a little while. 
Definitely. And, and what we've seen is that a lot of, or I shouldn't say a lot, but at least some of those trends were already starting to emerge pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we saw was the pandemics just really accelerated some of those uh, pre-existing trends. And to your point, just it'll be curious to see some of the home delivery uh, trends, how, you know, how, how much of that stays at its current level versus, say, 2018 or 2019. Uh, and, you know, you could say the same thing for a number of other potential outcomes, work from home versus a, a flex work schedule. You know, there's there's tons of things there that are going to be really interesting to monitor. Carl, what's exciting to multifamily owners and developers? Why are these buyers so excited about the, the future of multifamily? Uh, you know, what what are these tailwinds? I think a lot of it's just, you know, you look at the, uh, you know, you still got a lot of if you look at a population pyramid, you still got a lot of people in that prime renter cohort, which we call, you know, generally 18 to 34 year olds. There's still a big chunk of the population there. On top of that, you look at what's going on with the single family market, and it's just so difficult for a renter now to move into that starter home price point because many of those homes are getting. Um, or, or many of those homes are appreciating at such a rate that it's it's difficult to move out to a single family home. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of a lot of folks will see multifamilies loss as single families gain or vice versa. But a rising tide can lift all ships, and what we're seeing is that um, you know both the single family market and the multifamily market are looking pretty good overall. So I think that's fueling some positive investor sentiment. Um, you know, and again, just some of those broader demographic trends that we've already talked about, population growth, um, you know, the the ability to work from home now. So maybe you're willing to get a little bit bigger of a unit to, to separate work and, and, and home life. You know, there's there's a lot of positive trends fueling some investor sentiment out there. And you, you mentioned some tenants maybe wanting larger units. Uh, on the unit mix question, are you guys seeing from your analytics, uh, s- seeing a real, uh, any real push there of people wanting larger units? We're seeing a little bit of that push. Uh, it's, it, it's hard to say that it's enough of a push to be, you know, to, to use a little bit of a nerdier term here, to be statistically significant. It's kind of tough to say that, but um, what we've been seeing is that there is a pretty pronounced trend to move into either a more affordable asset to save a few hundred dollars on your rent, at least until the economy starts to stabilize. Um, we're also seeing that where if, a, if you know, I'm going to use Los Angeles and Riverside as an example here, Riverside rents are four to $500 cheaper than they are in Los Angeles. And with residents having some ability to work from home, at least in the near term, we've seen some out migration from those more expensive metros into the more affordable areas. And that's happening within markets as well. So if you look at that urban core exodus to the suburbs, again, that's in an effort to save a few hundred dollars on rent. That's not to say that the urban core doesn't come back. I think that there is a lot of potential for the urban core demand to pop once that quality of life returns to the downtown areas. But um, more so than the the larger units outperforming now, I think we're seeing more of a trend to um, more affordable assets outperforming. I think I think eventually it normalizes, but that's what we've seen here most recently. All right, Carl. Well, what would you leave our audience with, Carl, to think about for uh, the multifamily world moving forward? 
I think overall the market's looking pretty good. Uh, I think the the biggest thing we'll want to keep an eye on this year is uh, we've got more than four hundred thousand units slated to deliver in the coming twelve months, and you know you'd have to go back to the mid nineteen eighties, well before I was in the industry. Um, to, to see a number that high. So it's a big year for deliveries. I think the, the one of the biggest things to keep an eye on is just how quickly and how well that new supply gets absorbed. Now, thankfully, that is coinciding with a point where the economy is starting to rebound. But nevertheless, that level of construction would be um, pretty difficult to absorb even in a quote-unquote normal year. So I think that'll be something interesting to watch, particularly within Class A assets. But overall, the real page forecast is showing that 2021, the rebound starts to continue. Most markets by 2022 are in pretty good shape. And then by 2023, outside of a select few markets like New York, uh, most markets are looking really good by that point. Good. And we'll all be doing the Snoopy dance, hopefully in New York as well. Well, Carl, thanks for joining us, sir. All right. Thanks, Michael. All right. And thank you for joining us around the country. If you'd like to hear more from RealPage there, our website is realpage.com slash analytics. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Would you like a more inviting and safe environment for your property? Check out the ION technology for your heat and air system from Core Green Technologies. It's effective, safe, and won't break the budget. Visit core.green to learn more. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bold's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Core.Green. Kill 90% of COVID in 10 minutes. Visit Core.Green. Well, today we're going to talk about multifamily. We're going to key in on some of the operational and development strategies that are working in today's market. Please welcome my guest, Lori Lyons, and she's VP of Client Relations with Pegasus Residential. Lori, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Well, you guys are managing a lot of properties, Class A properties throughout the Southeast and Texas and in the uh, in the Mountain West areas and things, and you, you're really growing. And it must be uh, kind of an interesting time for, I guess is the best way to put it, because you've been in the business for a long time, having gone through this covid and kind of seeing kind of what's what's happened. And so my first question for you is, uh, what has been the impact on your communities with this work from home that we've been doing for a year? Uh, and, and, and as far as operations and and, uh, and demand for your uh, from tenants? 
Well, it's interesting. Um, I think the biggest, you know, all real estate cycles that haven't been in the business for 30 years bring different things, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them are temporary adjustments and some of them are what I call habits. Um, habits are things that come from those, the real estate cycles, such as COVID. Um, that was something that happened. And so everybody had to change um, different things that they were doing. The things that stick, I call it a habit. So some things are going to go back to more of the norm, but the things that are habit forming as a direct result of that have changed. And that will change how we develop apartments, how we operate people, how people are using spaces and facilities, et cetera. So I'm seeing a lot of changes firsthand. We, we do a lot of developments. We have 40 ground up developments that will lease up um, starting next year. We have 20 in the pipeline right now. And what I'm seeing is quick changes on the amenities and some of the interiors and things to, uh, to address those habits that have now changed, which specifically are tied to, um, you know, surfaces that are more are, that are not porous, to having more outdoor space, um, amenities inside that are different for um, to prevent, you know, people getting, you know, doorknobs and things like that. So I, I think that there's a lot of things habit forming. I think post COVID, we had a situation with um, a changing environment with respect to people were now getting all these packages. And so package lockers became big and then package rooms became big. And now it's like, you know, we're seeing a total migration away from that. So for me, I like to take a look at and see what are the habits that have changed. So therefore, what are going to be the long-term changes with these people? And another thing, obviously, that we've seen is this work from home impact. So there's been a huge focus on how do we create those home environments so that you have one or sometimes two people in the same apartment that are now working from home. And one of the big things we saw was during COVID, everybody was at home. And so the noise levels and the noise complaints were huge because you had everybody doing what I'm doing, looking into a computer and talking loud. And, you know, that was carrying through the walls, the bandwidth on the Wi-Fi. Um, there were huge demands on that. And that's changed a long term uh, because, again, working from home is one of those habits that started and it's been acknowledge and recognize from a lot of companies that this is the way it's going to be for the future. Yes. And that uh, brings up the question of, of demand on the size of units. Are, have you seen any trends there from COVID? Are, are tenants looking for larger units more or not? Or Well, the problem there is creating the balance, right? Um, people want to have not necessarily larger units where they're paying more per square foot or more for rent because that's sort of a, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've gotten into a situation where there's a lack of affordability, you know, attainable housing index that was just done by um, ULI looking at the 100 most populous uh, metro areas indicated that only 12% can even afford a one bedroom apartment on their own. Um, median high uh, prices in those areas also um, they can't afford because they don't even have the anywhere from the 3% to a 10% down payment. And so the problem is, is we can't necessarily make the apartments bigger because as we all know, as they get bigger, they get more expensive. So we're learning to be a little bit more creative in the apartments and the design and how they're laid out in, and then also creating spaces that people want to use. People still love the whole Starbucks, go work there, open your laptop, have a hundred people coming and going. People like that. So now we're converting a lot of spaces um, that are amenity spaces into areas where one person can be alone um, back in sort of a cubicle, but together with 10 other people in the room, et cetera. So we're, and then moving the outdoor spaces to be able to be shared, but alone spaces for people too. So 
I'm not really seeing a huge um, increase in the uh, apartment size because we're, we're fighting against the affordability. But what I am seeing is some creativity in going back to putting in a few built-in spaces, uh, making sure that there's areas where people can work, making sure that the walls are soundproof and then the Wi-Fi uh, demands are are hugely um, changing, you know, in the apartment industry. So I'm not seeing larger apartments. I think that they're still trying to try to figure out how to build units. And, and, and in fact, what I'm really seeing is a lot more people going to what I would call workforce housing, which is uh, a little bit more bare bone than what we've seen on the luxury side over the years. As you're describing the amenities, uh, I'm, I'm chuckling inside because I remember when I was a kid, um, I had a side job of uh, working for an apartment complex and sweeping breezeways and cleaning <laughs> the uh, clubhouse and stuff. And I remember the amenity room was really a, a big room with a pool table. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of amenities, it's interesting, um, the top 10 amenities that are searched for, right? We look at searchers' behavior because if they're work searching certain words, then we know exactly what, you know, what people want. And of the top 10 uh, searched amenities um, the uh, in the top five, only one of them uh, was not outdoors. Four of the five were outdoor um, searches for things like uh, balconies, gardens, you know, outdoor space um, that is shared, et cetera. And if you go all the way to the top 10, there's only three that were not outdoor related. Wow. And so that tells us definitely that is probably a habit that that came out of COVID. People are now searching for a place to be outside and embrace that, but still, you know, be cautious. Um, and so I thought that that was interesting that only three um, were not outdoor related of the top 10 searched amenities for people. Yeah. And it seems to me that, you know, more outdoor areas, um, more kind of work from, from community areas in the community uh, seems like something that would, would move forward, still be interesting to folks. Um, I guess we don't need pool tables anymore. Shucks. <laughs> well, it's interesting. That, that, so the essentials that people are looking at that are in is obviously the co-working space, the high speed internet, the fitness. These are the things that we're focusing on, the green space and outdoor space, and then mm -hmm. smart home technology people want. The things that are out is exactly what you just said. Pool tables, theaters, <laughs> golf simulators, um, game rooms, wine cellars, libraries, those things. Those are the, what we consider to be out and um, again, you know, if you're looking at what people want, it's it's it all goes back to it ties into kind of the co-working and work from home. I think what's interesting is recently there's been a new term coined, and it's called the the um, tethered the untethered class workers. And if you hadn't heard what that is, what these untethered people are is the median age with these people are 32. Um, there's about 8.7 million workers in that class. And those are people that are on the move. Of that, when they interviewed and, and took a look at people that were in that untethered class, one in three were undecided about staying where they were currently living for the next 12 to 18 months. So people are mobile. They're on the move. They want to be able to. And, and a lot of that, obviously, is driven from this stay at home, uh, being able to stay at home and work. They can work from anywhere. Um, you know, another another term that was coined during this time, which is is here to stay, is called Zoom towns in Colorado, for instance, where I'm from. You know, originally in the 20s, we had boom towns, right? Wherever mm -hmm. the wherever the uh, minerals were being mined, they were boom towns. Now it's Zoom towns. So the theory there is, as long as you can get on Zoom, you can work from there. So you're seeing these very remote 
mountain towns and Mountain West is really getting busy uh, because people, a lot of people took refuge to those areas during COVID. Finally, when they decided to sort of break out and get out to the outdoors, they fell in love with it. And now they're staying. And we're seeing that also on the East Coast, like down in the Southeast, <clears throat> our developments are just booming down there. A lot of people from New York that decided to go somewhere else during COVID, they decided, hey, I'm going to stay. I'm not going back. And, you know, New York is one of those places that's still very undecided what's happening with that office space because it's impossible to get 15,000 people in a building in an hour period of time without, you know, having masses of people together. So I'm seeing a lot of people are now like, I'm done with that. I'll go to New York to visit, but I'm going to stay down in the Southeast. So the Mountain West and the Southeast East have really gotten an uptick. But then, like I said, this untethered class of people that are Zoom Zoomers, I think, is um, that's a trend here to stay. Yeah. Well, I do a lot of work in the Southeast and our headquarters is in Atlanta. And you know what we call uh, uh, Yankees that, that move down here? Uh, we don't call them Yankees. They're called damn Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> we love we love our Yankee friends. I'm, it, uh we don't really call them that, but uh, so so those are some great trends for for the new developments, and I guess in, in when people are kind of renovating uh, their communities, uh, what else are you seeing for uh, developers as far as the the type of properties and and the focus that are, are hot right now? Well, this is interesting. I just had a meeting on, uh, yesterday with another client in Florida, um, which is where I am today, Jacksonville, which is a, another one of those booming metropolises that's really, there's developments everywhere. And this is somebody that's, it's a second generation um, company of development, but they are working on their first multifamily deal. And uh, they went from retail and office, uh, migrated into a little bit of the 55 plus and did some townhomes. And now they're in the multifamily. And you know, his quote yesterday was, we're opportunists, right? That's a word we all know in real estate. And so I think in summary, I see everybody becoming opportunists and they're going where there is opportunity, both in regions of the country and then also classes of, of, of where people are at. So people are still, I'm seeing a lot of people migrating into the uh, active adult, you know, which is, came from the 55 plus or 62 plus and all that was going on. Now all I'm hearing is active adult because they can target everybody, but they can gear it, you know, more towards the active adults. So I'm seeing a lot of multifamily people getting into that space. They like that. They haven't really figured out yet how to uh, underwrite it. And, and, you know, it takes two years to lease those properties up. Mm -hmm. And so we are trying to change the model of how you lease those units. Um, to the people that take two years to make those decisions. But, you know, it's a, it's a huge population. You know, the last of the baby boomers still have like another 10 years and they're moving into that space. And so there's a, a huge demand um, uh, for that class type, of course. And then the other huge demand is these uh, single family homes. So I'm seeing uh, we're getting engaged with a lot of like townhome structures and even on a multifamily, like every footprint in the suburbs of 300 units there will be some type of tuck under garage with a townhome, carriage house, whatever you want to call it. People are looking for that. And specifically, if there's like a small backyard, they want to have that. Dogs have continued to get popular more more than ever during COVID. And it's not like that's not like a habit you can just get rid of, right? Like you have a dog and now you're going to have it for 8, 10, 12 years. And so people want to be able to have their own little backyard space. So townhomes and single family, I'm seeing a lot of people getting into single family trying to develop an entire subdivision of just single families, maybe townhome built or carriage style, because uh, people want to be able to, again, have that community, 
but they want to be able to have their space. So those are probably the biggest areas that I'm seeing the biggest changes in. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. These single family home rental developments, uh, um, yeah, we're seeing a, a lot of interest in that. And uh, it's interesting to see, you know, what they can build them for per square foot. And, uh, uh, you know, you would think the economies of scale wouldn't be there with those projects, right? You've got multiple roofs and uh, detached properties and a lot of grounds, but I can see where tenants really love that. Uh, we talk with Laurie Lyons with Pegasus Residential. And if you'd like to check out their website, it's PegasusResidential.com. What else would it be, right? <laughs> um, Laurie, could you tell us, you know, on leasing strategies right now, uh, what are some some tips you'd share with us that are, that are working in the current environment? Well, I think the biggest thing is really to be able to try to do some type of remote virtual leasing to be able to give uh, people prospects access to the property and to the units or to at least visibly see them on their phone. You know, again, people have become very engaged on their phones and they're doing all their leasing. I'm seeing companies going, you know, we've been paperless. We've been doing virtual leasing for a couple of years. It was interesting. We leased more apartments during COVID than we ever did. We had the wow. highest capture rate during COVID. And, and uh, you know, it was kind of a conundrum. People were like, how did that happen? Well, it's because we had the virtual leasing in place and all the tools. And so what happened while all the other companies were still trying to scramble and beta testing it and things like that, we already had it rolled out. So we were getting all of their traffic because it was the only place people could actually, you know, do a virtual lease and get it done. That's all caught up now. So people are doing that. So now we're moving into, you know, we have a, a bot that answers the phone and, you know, is driven to make an appointment or get, and, and that appointment can be coming and meeting somebody live, or it can be an appointment where they can say, I want to, I want to visit the property Sunday morning at eight o'clock, your office is not open. And we give them the virtual key and that window of opportunity to, to see that uh, apartment, walk around, take a look at the, themselves. We're doing uh, virtual tours uh, like Zooms. Someone will uh, want to take a look at an apartment but not come. And we'll be like, let's take you to this apartment. I'm going to walk out on your patio. You're going to see what your views are going to look like, et cetera. So on the leasing side, we're continuing to embrace a lot of the technology and put that out there. And in all honesty, it's very successful. Um, I, I know people, I, you know, for 30 years, I've always been one that said I could sell a doghouse to a cat owner, right? I'm a sales oriented person. <laughs> but I think what we're finding is it doesn't always take the personal uh, closing. It takes a process. And, and look, people are searching apartments a lot different and they're buying things, right? You can, you can get on the phone today and buy a car without ever going into a dealership and have it delivered to your driveway. That is the habits that have been formed that people do not want to interact face-to-face -face with a lot of different people. So I'm seeing a lot of that. And then, of course, using the technology throughout the property is a, is a real must nowadays, like, uh, you know, using your phone to, for entries, um, to secure areas, to make appointments for the fitness center, to utilize, um, you know, spaces in the work, in the small workspaces that there are to reserve that for you or a conference room. Everything is done now through phones. And then, like I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the top searched items was, um, you know, the the um, smart home technology. People want that. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit more about the in-person in tours that um, are self-driven by the by the occupant. So um, tell me a little bit of that so they can, if they're searching online, they like it. Um, and then they can, through through online process, get an opportunity to come in and have a code and go see an apartment and go in it without a person there? 
Yes. So, um, you know, what we still screen those people. So in order for you to do that, you'd pull it up and you'd schedule a time that you want to go in. Then you have to provide your um, your driver's license and a credit card. The credit card will be swiped for a one dollar. Um, it's refunded afterwards. But that gives us the ability to do a search on that and and confirm that, you know, and have all the data that we need. And then what happens is I schedule a time I'm going to come at eight o'clock. So that window of opportunity will allow that code to work from eight o'clock to nine o'clock. Um, and then after that, it, it, you know, it shuts down and then all the data goes back in. And I'm going to find out that that person was in that apartment for 10 minutes. So they may not have been interested right right off the bat. So I can uh, figure that out. If they've been in there for the full hour, we probably have a, a hot body that really wants that apartment. So there's a lot of data we can pull out of it um, to actually close the lease. But the biggest opportunity is for us to be able to let people come in and um, look at those on their own with you know no pressure and what's for the schedule that really works uh, for them. So it's a secure way to do it. Um, and then again, mining the data is huge. And you know there'll be some people that don't qualify for it based on a driver's license because we'll do a, a, a check on it right away. But um, the majority of the people uh, pass and can, you know, with those two sources of identification, can take a look at a property. And then they can use their phone to enter the property and the uh, unit? Yes. And you can, again, because the properties are all controlled, you can control the access to whatever you want. So you may limit it to just that apartment or you may want to give them entry to be able to go in and see the fitness center uh, during certain hours when the fitness center would be accessible anyway. Yeah, I like having the multiple ways you can attract tenants and, and have them view the space. And I agree. There's some folks who would just absolutely love that. Uh, I know uh, if, if I'm looking at uh, vehicles and I want to see them in person, uh, I like to go maybe on a Sunday and walk the lot when there's not, no salesman there. Uh, right. And then, and then take your phone and do the QR code and, and get the details on, on the autom on the, on the automobile without being, uh, bothered. Uh, so I, I think that's great. Well, what, what would be a final tip from, from you, Laurie, for uh, property owners around the country for, for leasing or operations uh, to think about in 2021? Well, I think the biggest thing is taking a look at how uh, the amenities are, are spaced and how they're also people are engaged. And then on the interiors, I'm starting to see uh, different types of interiors and surfaces that are being used, you know, going more with timeless selections. Here's another thing where People are, the warm colors have come back, right? The real warm, comfortable, and those types of things, believe it or not, the grays are out. Um, that comfort thing was a direct result of the whole COVID, you know, trying to, you know, people to sort of have a place that they feel comfortable in and home and gay, as they call it, which is the, you know, the Danish term for, you know, a comfortable surroundings that I feel really comfortable in. Um, and I think that the other part that I see is on um, some of the interiors is things are more affordable. So in, in some of the single family homes that they're developing to try to keep costs down, you can create custom looks through now printing technology like printed wood. So you get a consistent grain and color and quality, et cetera. It's antimicrobial um, surfaces um, uh, plus copper and bronze and those things are being used. And I think what you're seeing, you know, granite, although people, there's been a huge demand for that, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, and it's been a better price in our, in our um, industry. It's porous, so people want to have quartz now, right? So that used to be the big thing is they wanted that. So, and porcelain's come a long way. So I think the technology is really interesting on how it's now making some of these uh, developments more affordable. Even the tools, I saw a tool the other day that actually can cut an outlet, right? So you 
it's a programmed tool. And instead of having like a little saw and having to do a rectangle the, the right size and measuring it out for a, an outlet in the apartment, now it takes about two minutes. It's programmed the computer. You press it into the drywall, boom, boom, boom. And then the amount of time it took to do cut out one outlet or light plate, now you're doing a whole entire apartment for that. So that cost is going down. So there's some fun things that I, I think it's fun to see some of those things that are really going to create the value for us to be able to deliver more affordable um, apartments. Approximately how much more are quartz countertops than granite, roughly? Oh, that's a good question. It You know, it varies a lot. And right now, <laughs> post-COVID, I, I, I hate to even quote on it because I'll tell you what, what happened. Um, it, there was a, a transition from that. And then what happened is COVID happened and all the ships stopped. So everything that was coming from overseas. So um, I would hate to even say what the pricing difference right. is because it varies so much. Yeah, construction costs are kind of a moving target these days, aren't they? They are. It's just kind of all, it literally is a supply and demand. Anybody that wants to be in real estate, they better pay attention to their economics class. We used to think that wasn't necessary, but it is It is all supply and demand. Yeah. Sure. Are you seeing any trends on uh, existing properties and new properties uh, related to uh, security? Uh, and how important is that to residents today? Yeah, I'm not really seeing that. I, I, you know what? The smart home technology, people like that, so they can have their lights on and off when they want um, and do that. People have moved away from, um, you know, really being, you know, it's it's funny. I thought that we would get an increase on that, but we haven't. It's still very regional and very local to what's going on in that market. So I'm seeing a lot of uh, properties that are like C-class properties stepping up and doing more gates and adding some of those. They're eliminating these uh, live body security people that are roaming around, et cetera, and they're, and they're relying on technology. So it makes it more affordable for them in the long run at those properties. And then in the urban core, that's always kind of been a big thing to have more uh, security. And it's cheaper to do it because now we can use our phones to have all this access, et cetera. So I, I guess I'd have to say I'm not seeing an increase in it, but what I am seeing is a smarter way to use it. So it's now more affordable for a lot of people, because if you're going to start to open the doors with the locks, then that automatically allows you to have a more secure property. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, Ari, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Michael. All right. And if you'd like to reach Lori, they do offer third-party management. Uh, they're Pegasus Residential. And that was Lori Lyons. So thanks for joining us around the country. Uh, thanks for uh, sharing the show. And uh, hey, please connect with us on your favorite social media. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Vista Property Reports. Use smartphone location technology for commercial real estate due diligence. Visit vistapropertyreport.com slash CRE show. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.